For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Looking to throw over the middle and into the end zone. Touchdown, Arizona State. We support each other's uh, teams the rest of the year, but during this game, all bets are off. That was all Keaton Slovis. Wow, what a play by him. One man to beat 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, a new NCAA record. Dante Pettis. Washington State has found a way to move the ball. It's incredible what we're seeing here in Pullman tonight. Touchdown, Oregon. They fake the handoff. Justin Herbert delivers a dart. I went to HR several times uh, about how the Duck fans treat me. Touchdown, Utah. I mean, this is the Pac-12 we're talking about. Should we call off the season? Should the Pac-12 say, you know what? We're out of the college football playoff. The nation is laughing at us. Maybe it's time to just put a cap on this whole thing and look forward to next year. I don't think so. Twitter disagrees with me. We'll see what Ryan Leaf thinks, and we'll talk about that and more right here on Believe in the Pac-12 on the Leaf Podcast Network. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show along with college football analyst Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. ESPN's Matt Barry will join the show in a couple of it's about 15 minutes or so here on the podcast. Ryan, before we get to um, – depends on what side you're on. If you're from Corvallis, you were really happy. If you were hoping that the Pac-12 would have a college football playoff team, you were really sad. Um, what was your takeaway from this lackluster week of Pac-12 football before we get into the nuances, the nitty-gritty of this past Saturday? Well, I mean, I think it, it is what it is. You know, Oregon hasn't looked great all year long, and they got into a rivalry game, and, and Jonathan Smith and that – that staff have put together a solid team that has battled every single week and they were able to get over the top. Uh, they were more physical. Uh, they ran the ball better. Jamar Jefferson was absolutely special. Um, as for the, whether we should play or not, uh, we're playing. So yes, we should continue to play. You know, if this was the beginning of it all, which uh, I've been very vocal about that um, there's no reason why, you should be trying to play college football during a worldwide pandemic yet here we are. And it's firmly shown us that uh, it's about money and they need to continue to make the money uh, to produce these football programs that help finance the school. And uh, you know, players are going to want to play regardless. They're 21 year old kids. They think they're supermen. They're going to play. And uh, that's the way it is. So they're, we're going to find ways to get through the rest of the season. Um, you know, Colorado, USC, Washington all are down one game in terms of uh, cumulative effect if they were able to go undefeated down the line. I don't think that's enough now. I, I really don't. I think Oregon uh, had to uh, play all seven games and go undefeated. USC, if they go 6-0 and with the conference championship, maybe they'll get a look if uh, everything holds true, if, if – if Notre Dame gets beat by Clemson, uh, then all then all hopes lost for sure, if that's the case. So 
Um, it is what it is. You know, I think the games are entertaining. Uh, no one thought Arizona would battle UCLA as well as they did. Uh, Colorado found a way to get a, a San Diego State team on a couple days notice and did what they've been doing all year long. And that's, you know, score points, be physical against a very good defensively coached team in Brady Hoke, Aztecs. So uh, all in all, I, I thought it was a good weekend of football. Unfortunately for the Pac-12, the lone team that was as high ranked as anybody that gave them a chance, you know, got beat. Yep, Oregon State with that 41-38 win uh, on Friday. We'll get to those games here in just a moment. But I have a question, Ryan. So the Pac-12 athletically is, I mean, you're going to find talent across the board, right? When you look at the national running backs, of the top five averaging in yards per game of the power five schools, not the guy from Buffalo who's, you know, got 600 yards and and 10 touchdowns, um, of the power five conferences, three running backs in the Pac-12 are amongst those five in average yards per game. Demetric Felton, uh, Jurek Broussard, and Jamar Jefferson. The conference as a whole has great wide receivers. It has great quarterbacks. Is the silver lining from this season the fact that we are seeing emerging talent? Because, again, athletically, I really do think that you can go pick a guy on most teams in this conference, and and I would see them stacking up with, with some of the best nationally. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't see an elite quarterback in the Pac-12. Uh, I don't see uh, an elite wide receiver in comparison to the likes of – You don't give on Monroe, St. Brown, or Tyler Vaughn's the, that kind of – No, they're, they're good. They're decent, yeah. But, you know, they, they may not be seeing the field at Alabama or Clemson, period. So, you know, they're not elite, but they're, they're, they're good enough and they're talented enough uh, to be explosive for their teams. But, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of elite play in the Pac-12. There just isn't uh, from top to bottom. And that's because of where recruiting stands, right? I mean, they get out recruited uh, everywhere else in the country. uh, Other conferences are stepping into the very, you know, fertile lands of the Southern California recruiting process and and guys are leaving. And uh, you made reference to that a few weeks ago in terms of quarterback play down in Mississippi um, at Clemson. You know, that's, that's where some of the elite quarterback play is, is, is happening. And uh, unfortunately for the Pac-12, um, they need Oregon to continue with the way they've been recruiting, and, but they got to win. They, just, they can't have subpar performances against the likes of UCLA and then lose to Oregon State, a team that they should win. But defensively, they just, you know, they needed the offseason with so many losses to learn how to gel and come together under Andy Avalos's defense. Yeah, I did hear whisperings this morning that the number one national recruit for the class of 2021, Kayvon Thibodeau, I heard out of the USC camp this morning that that's the way he's leaning. It's between USC and LSU. He did decommit from Clemson back in May. We'll see where KT ends up probably in the next month or so. Um, But he looks like he's leaning towards USC, which would be a very big get both for that defense, but for the program as a whole. All right, before we get to Matt Berry, let's get into some of these games. Oregon, Oregon State, we're going to go in chronological order just because it's easy. Um, Look, Oregon State played a heck of a game. And you said it last week. You said Tristan Jebbia is as good as any quarterback in this conference. I didn't fight you on it, but I did ponder it after the podcast. And, I mean, he looked like as good or even better than than most of the quarterbacks in the conference in this game. Obviously, he had the touchdown. That was not a touchdown, but was a touchdown. Hurt his knee. We hope he's okay. Doesn't matter because the backup comes in, runs it in, and Oregon State ends up taking the lead and then eventually winning the game. 
Oregon defensively just isn't there. They're just – I don't know what's going on with their front seven. Noah Sewell looks as good as ever. Kayvon Thibodeau looks slow in the second half, um, and their coverage just isn't very good. We said the key to the game for the Ducks was to not – oversell on the run so that way they could defend the pass well not only today <laughs> they tried to oversell on the run and they still give up 226 yards to jamar jefferson and two touchdowns is jefferson just that good or is this oregon front seven just that bad well there's probably a combination of both jamar jefferson was extremely good i mean but i mean one of his touchdown runs is 80 plus yards too out of that 226 but uh he looked good throughout uh they you know they they sprinkled in some passes here or there, but I really think that uh, special teams, uh, Oregon State's been been good on special teams and what they were able to do defensively to confuse Tyler Shuck in the second half. Just some some poor throws, uh, you know, a great job by by Grant down the down the field playing a cover three corner, being able to spin around and and make that interception, which was really the the thing that turned the game. Um, and I thought they did a a tremendous job of of milking the clock as well as they could and still getting the score late in the game and not leaving Oregon with a lot of time. I really thought for a while Oregon on that first down was just going to let them score because it was the only way for them to actually have a chance to win in my, in my opinion, but then they were going to get to almost fourth down. And I thought, you know, you know, that their choice worked, they stopped them, they won the game, but uh, Oregon state did enough. They scored a, a couple times actually to finally get that game winner. 22 points in the fourth quarter for Oregon State, who, by the way, in the AP Top 25, every week they release um, every single poller's voting record. They show which teams fell into the Top 25 for every single voter. Oregon State did receive one Top 25 vote from uh, one of the Iowa beat writers. So good for you, Oregon State, getting some recognition out of the Midwest. Moving on, Stanford-Cal. Stanford eked out a 24-23 win despite a fourth-quarter effort by Cal. Cal drops to 0-3, which is the worst start Pac-12 play in the Justin Wilcox era. Uh, both these teams are, are going to remain where they are for the rest of the season, in my opinion. But Davis Mills looked pretty good. I mean, he was efficient. They were mostly kind of throwing these short dump downs to the flat, which is why he had 24 completions for only 205 yards. But overall, I mean, this was the battle of the bottom of the North um, and Stanford eked out their first one of the season. What was your takeaway from this game? You know, again, you know, neither team looked very good. Uh, you know, either quarterback didn't look very good. Uh, there wasn't any explosive plays. There was a lot of dink and dunk uh, running the football and, you know, and ultimately it came down to special teams, which Cal has been abysmal at. And sure enough, it's an, a missed extra point that costs, Cal the game. Uh, who knows what happens when they when and if they go to overtime with the tie ball game. But uh, you know you've got to be able to shore up that front, stop a blocked extra point. Uh, something one of the easiest things to do, uh, one of the most routine things to do. And Justin Wilcock has just got to be uh, terribly upset on, on how that game ended that way. It was all problems, uh, muff punts. Uh, special teams was the was the issue, and that's why Cal got beat. Uh, and it's certainly a big reason why they're 0-3. Uh, Chase Garbers has just been – I don't want to say abysmal, but he's been really bad. I mean, three interceptions, five touchdowns in those three games, only 588 yards. I know that he gets a year of eligibility back. Is there faith in Justin Wilcox and his quarterback to keep him as a potential starter for next year? They have some recruits coming in. They have, obviously, two decent backups. I mean, he just doesn't seem – 
like the it factor for this team that needs to find a way to compete in what's going to be a convoluted North next year with, uh, with Oregon and with Washington. I wouldn't read into anything this year. This is developmental spring season, in my opinion. Uh, I would not read into one thing playing with players that may have been on the, you know, on the bench two weeks ago because of COVID protocols and things like that. It, we have no idea. Um, the fact they're getting out there and playing uh, is going to get you some experience, but you know, I wouldn't, I would, wouldn't read into anything. That's why I don't think a lot. That's why I don't think a head coach is going to get fired through this process. Uh, it's just not enough data, uh, not enough time, preparation, all those things. This, this offense under Bill Musgraves was all installed virtually, never done on the football field. And Chase Garbus, who developed into a really solid quarterback a year ago under Bull Baldwin system, now has to do it again. And when you have to learn a whole new system and not be able to go out and actually practice it during the process, it's difficult. It really is, you know. And so I, don't, I, I wouldn't take away too much of anything that we see this year. Uh, I hope everybody utilizes the fact that this year doesn't count in terms of eligibility. I really do. Now, I understand those that are eligible to go play professionally and are going to get drafted are going to do what they're going to do. But if, you know, if you're, if you're not in that position, utilize the fact that you don't have to count this season against your uh, eligibility credits and, and, and take full advantage of that. On a side note, you said coaching carousel odds are in the Pac-12 it's probably not going to happen uh for me the only coach in Pac-12 territory that is at risk of being fired is Anthony Lynn I just want to throw that out there because I've been very disappointed in the Chargers and Justin Herbert's been phenomenal but every Oregon fan now is calling for Anthony Lynn's head um you had a very humorous tweet this past weekend about the Chargers uh just a side note because again Chargers play in Los Angeles, Pac-12 presence in Los Angeles, um, and, and they've been very disappointing this season at the NFL level. All right, moving on here to Saturday. Colorado, San Diego State, like you said, Colorado able to find an opponent. Last minute, 3-3 three and three, San Diego State, now 3-3. and three. They were 3-2 and two coming into the games. Colorado 3-0 and oh with a guy in Sam Neuer who nobody really knew what to expect. Darren Schiaverini's offense has been rolling. Um, and I really like Colorado. I honestly think they could be the best team in the Pac-12 right now. What are your thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, my, my Pac-12 power rankings came out this weekend, and I have Colorado at the top. I have Washington second, and I have USC third right now. I actually have Oregon State fourth because of what they've been able to do. So um, Colorado, for me, um, what's, what's disappointing is the game that I needed to see to actually make the point that they were the best team in the, at least the South uh, was the USC game. Cause they were undefeated a year ago or two years ago when they played USC in the Coliseum and got, got worked. Right. So we need to see that game and we're most likely not going to get it. Uh, I don't know how you decide a South champion if they're both sitting at five and O oh when it's all said and done. Um, but I would like to see that game played some way, somehow, uh, to really show us who the best in the South is, because I think Colorado has a, every opportunity to to be that team right now. I completely agree. Twenty to ten over San Diego State, and it was a pretty conservative offensive showing for Colorado. You could tell that the game plan was executed the way that they wanted. Their defense came through, and and you don't need more than that sometimes, especially on a short week against a team that you weren't really expecting to play up until a day or two before. Now, San Diego State was ready for this game. They had a week to prepare for whoever. Now they, they figured it's probably going to be Colorado. Could have been Washington. Um, they had all those depth charts ready to go. But like, like you said, Colorado executing very well week in, week out. 
Um, and there's no tie. I mean, there's not really tiebreakers because there's a crossover game. So if you both your teams in the South go undefeated, odds are that the teams that they played are, they're incongruent with each other, which means that you can't really look at the schedule and be like, oh, USC beat this, but Colorado beat that and they lost this. It just doesn't work that way with this, the way that the season is logistically. Um, so I'm with you. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Colorado and USC, if they both do end up undefeated in the South, stack up when they have to decide a South champion. Um, Let's move over. Okay, Washington-Utah. This was a fascinating game. Utah down or up 21-0 at the half. Washington comes back, shuts them out defensively in the third and fourth quarter, scores 17 big ones in the third, seven in the fourth. It was the first 21-point deficit comeback, overcome, I should say, to a victory for Washington since 1988. Um, Washington looks fantastic. I know in the first half it was a slow start. Utah probably a little bit. Um, energetic being back on the field after a tough loss the previous week to USC. But I mean, Washington had, had all wheels rolling in the second half and they really showed us uh, just what they could do with scoring 24 straight points and eking up that victory. Well, I, I don't know if, uh, if the word fantastic should be used. I think that's pretty hyperbolic for a team that squeaked by an Oregon state team uh, was down 21 points to a Utah uh, team. To and, me, and, and, Oregon state beat, looks incredible. So, and, well, again, hyperbolic, incredible. Uh, <laughs> Trigger words. This is the Pac-12. None of these words should be associated with the Pac-12. Incredible, fantastic, none of it. Washington looks good. Uh, they look young. They look, uh, um, you know, they look like they need help. And they got it. They got it from, from Utah in the second half. They took the, the foot off the gas, did not stay aggressive like they were in the first half, um, and, and allowed – uh, Washington to get back in the game. You know, Colorado and Washington are the two best teams in the, in the Pac-12 right now. And that's, that's not saying a lot. That is not saying a lot. This conference struggles mightily. Washington is a good team. Uh, Dylan Morris is learning. He looked like he had never really played before in the first half. And they did a lot of better things in the second half. But, uh, it, you know, it, it is what it is. A uh, Utah team that was decimated by injuries. Uh, got a new starting quarterback in there, um, you know, couldn't finish. And uh, Washington found a way to get it done, sneak into the top 25 tomorrow night. I think that just might happen. They have in the AP poll. Um, they're going to be one game short too. They're going to be a, if they were able to go undefeated and beat a Oregon team and then win a Pac-12 championship, they're going to be 6-0. and And I just, I don't know if that's enough. We'll see. Ohio State's only played four games, and they may only end up playing six, too. They're an undefeated 6-0 team and a conference champion. You know, when they get in, there's a very good shot for, for a, a Pac-12 team still to be part of that. We'll see. Um, but uh, luckily, luckily for Jimmy Lake and that team, they played the likes of Arizona and a Utah team that couldn't, uh, couldn't restart their motor in the second half uh, to be 3-0 and right now. Yeah, the youth in the secondary for Utah really showed in that third quarter. Washington was just attacking Clark Phillips, the third, who, again, give him two years. I think he'll be the best defensive back in the, in the Pac-12. But, again, his second game ever at the collegiate level, not an easy task. Washington wins that one 24-21. Jimmy Lake, 3-0 in his head coaching, uh, in his inaugural head coaching season. Another guy. By the way, did you know that UCLA – <laughs> in the Chip Kelly era has only been 500 twice. That was when they were one and one this season. <laughs> and now that they're two and two, that's insane to me that UCLA has just been so abysmal 
uh, over the last four or five seasons. But uh, they knock out Grant Gannell Gunnell in the first drive of the game. Not knockout. He got injured. We hope he's okay. Will Plummer comes in, true freshman out of Gilbert, Arizona. Doesn't play very well. Two interceptions, 151 yards. UCLA puts their foot on the gas in that second quarter, especially 17, uh, 17 points, excuse me. And Demetric Felton, 32 carries, 206 yards, and a touchdown. Last week, I explained to you that I thought the, the Alvin Kamara comparisons were overhyped, facetious, if you will, in your, in your words, hyperbolic. Um, I rescind that take because he's just been doing it all season. He's fantastic to watch, and he's absolutely lighting it up on the football field. So UCLA has their running back right now, and, and he is killing it for them. Overall, UCLA looked good, though. They executed the game plan. They moved the ball well defensively. Again, you're going against a freshman quarterback who was thrown into the game with minimal prep, who's actually third on the depth chart coming into this game, uh, and they walked away with a win. Your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I wasn't very impressed with UCLA. I thought they were going to just walk away with this, and they had to get a you know a you know a back end score to cover. Uh, actually, I, I really thought they were going to win this game twenty to ten, and 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 we were going to lose our our UCLA minus ten and a half. But they found a way to score uh, right at the right at the end there to to get that backdoor cover in. Um, of course, impressed, but don't forget the team they beat has not won a game in over. Over a year. Over a year, yep. They've lost 10 consecutive Pac-12 games. I don't foresee them finding a way to win this year either. So, you know, it's – UCLA's gotten better. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Chip Kelly and UCLA if they continue to win games. They can end the season uh, as a 500 team at 3-3. Three and three, Then by all means, yes. Um, but what we got to see in terms of – Chris Griffith uh, and his improvement and then wondering whether Felton is going to, you know, Alvin Kamara to the NFL or if he's going to stay and utilize another year. That's, that's a big question because yeah. we watched the guy go through six games and you're like, boy, that guy's special. He's going to be special next year. And he just like, you know, he goes to the next level because he's capable. I mean, that's understandable. It's all about where you go too. You know, it's, we were watching Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell two absolute superstars at their positions in Pittsburgh go other places and be absolutely irrelevant. And it just shows you it's about where you go. It's about where you're at. It's about the system you get placed in. If Alvin Kamara goes anywhere but New Orleans, do you think we're talking about Alvin Kamara? I don't know. Since uh, Tennessee did not utilize him at all. In fact, no one even knew about him until he really did what he's done in the NFL. So I think what, what, Felton's been able to do is special because he's put his name and his face and everything on the radar of NFL scouts and the likes of Sean Payton and the likes of Andy Reid being able to utilize guys like them uh, in what they do in their systems that make them special. I want to loop back to something that you said, by the way, 2710, just recapping that real quick, UCLA over Arizona, that actually wraps up all the games from this past weekend. Um, I want to loop back to something you said earlier to open up the show. You said, there's no elite quarterbacks in the Pac-12. There's no elite wide receivers, right? There are some good wide receivers. Nobody that really stands out, though, that if they're playing at Alabama or Clemson. Now, Alabama and Clemson have, I would say, elite quarterbacks. If the Pac-12, if Keaton Slovis rose to an elite level, if Tyler Shuck, I don't know, if one of these quarterbacks did or if one of these teams got an elite quarterback, would that – how important is that to evaluating a, quote, elite wide receiver? Because you just said, right, 
Football players are systematic players, especially these skill position players. If I'm Tyler Vaughn's and I was looked at as one of the best wide receivers coming into the, the season this year, and now that's no longer the conversation, how much is that on me and how much is that on Keaton Slovis and the, the fact that they're just not utilizing him to the best of his abilities? I'm sure I mean, as a wide receiver, you're, it's out of your control. It, it really is. It's all about you getting touches. And um, what Alabama and Steve Sarkeesian do is they, they just they go out of their way to give Devontae Smith touches. I mean, he's going to get 10, 11, 12 touches. Right. And uh, in an air raid system, it's not about getting one individual uh, a bunch of touches. It's about giving everybody five, six, seven, eight touches. And that kind of just waters down everything. We've never had an elite wide receiver under Mike Leach's air raid system other than maybe Michael Crabtree. That's the only one I can think of in terms of going high in the draft and having a sustainable and long-term NFL career. In the air raid, you have to be open to um, go to one guy. And that's just not how it's, it's meant to be. You know, you're not, you're thrown to spots. You're not thrown to a person. Alabama, you don't think Florida and Dan Mullen had Kyle Pitts set up for those plays in those moments, three touchdowns and his first game back. Yep. See, that's the difference. And, and that's what goes about different kind of play calling. Uh, and so you're exactly right. They're not they're, Those two wide receivers are great in their own rights. They're not in a system that's going to utilize them in a way that makes them elite around the country. And it seems like that's just the case in this conference because, like you said, there's no elite quarterback. So it's really hard to find an elite wide receiver on any of these teams. Uh, really quickly, okay, nationally, before we, Matt Berry joins us here, we have like two or three minutes. Um, Northwestern lost to Michigan State. I mean, lost to Michigan State. I mean, it was, the, it was that was a bad football game. The Big Ten now is, is it's on Ohio State. What happens if Ohio State loses in the Big Ten championship? What happens in that hypothetical? Okay, let's say Alabama runs the table. Does that mean that we're going to see two ACC teams and two SEC teams? Is that a possibility, or is that the best possible scenario for Cincinnati or BYU to maybe get a look, or A&M, for example? Well, I, I think that if, if Ohio State were to lose, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a moot point. That's, they're not going to put a one-loss Big Ten champion in uh, with the limited amount of games. You can't lose a game with that small of uh, uh, data size to look at. And, you know, Ohio State's got to worry about being Big Ten championship eligible. They're, they're, they're right. teetering on the possibility that that's not the case. Now, I, I, I don't think a, a committee keeps out a undefeated uh, uh, Ohio State team at the end. But if Ohio State loses, I, don't, I, don't, I think they're out. Um, Clemson needs to win. If Clemson loses again, of course, they're out. Um, I, I don't know if Florida can beat Alabama, but they have the best offense that can match them. But Alabama's defense has sharpened like nobody's business since uh, those games against Ole Miss um, uh, where, they, they, where they looked less than. Um, but I think Florida's going to give them the best chance. If Florida were able to upset them, I don't, still don't see a path for Texas A&M because then, A, Texas A&M isn't an SEC champion, and they lost to Alabama, which right. would be the other one-loss team that they would go head-to-head -head there. And so I don't think Texas A&M can, can be in the conversation at all. So they're the highest they're going to be all year long, and they'll continue to stay at where they're at. They're at five, and they'll never get any higher the rest of the year. Now, you threw out the Cincinnati – uh, BYU claim. BYU is out of the conversation uh, because of their schedule. Now, 
they have opportunities to do some different things. They could schedule Cincinnati. They could schedule something else to maybe give them a different kind of data point for the committee when they make their decisions on Tuesdays. Cincinnati has a chance, right? Uh, they need chalk to fly and them to be pitted up against the likes of uh, a one-loss A&M team, a two-loss Clemson team, and hope they get the benefit of the doubt. I just don't know if it's enough. I really think that it, what it is right now in terms of it may go, it may look differently when it's all said and done, but I think it's going to be Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. Um, I think Notre Dame, uh, for all their missteps along the way when they had to play big games in the past, have found the right fit. And I don't think enough people are talking about Ian Book in the Heisman Trophy conversation right now. Uh, he is by far, I think, the best all-round quarterback that's playing this year. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame is making I – had, I had faith in Mac Brown and Sam Howell on Friday at UNC. They were tied 17-17 midway through the third, and then you, they, what Notre Dame did is exactly on point with what you just said. Ian Book just rose to the next level, and they scored, uh, what, 15 unanswered points, 14 unanswered points, and that was the end of the game. I mean, UNC was able to – Well, defensively, defensively, they made adjustments at halftime. They limited this North Carolina team that what you talked about was so explosive. They limited them to 298 total yep. yards, which that, that was it. Uh, and Coach Lee on that defensive side, they lost their best player on defense on the back end who was knocked out because of a targeting call, and they still were able to get it done. Ian Book is probably the, the most athletic of the quarterbacks we're seeing. It reminds me a ton of, of Joe Burrow and the, his ability to escape and do things outside the pocket. Uh, it, it's been, it's been fun to watch and, uh, I expect big things. I, I, I am not sold on the fact that Clemson wins the ACC championship now. Now they looked impressive in Trevor Lawrence's first game back, but that's going to be a fun ACC championship. I can't wait for that. And I hopefully we'll get it. Oh, absolutely. That'd be, that'd be great. Last thing here, Iowa state 23 to 20 over Texas. Everybody was complaining that Iowa state, a two loss big 12 team was ranked against Oregon. Okay. Well now all those people can stop complaining because the proof is in the pudding. Um, the big 12 is what it is. Oklahoma, Iowa state are, are really holding up sort of the front end of it. Iowa state, obviously without win against Oklahoma, but I mean, is Iowa state to me, they're the biggest surprise coming out of the season for you. Would you agree? Or is there another team that you see as, wow, I can't believe that this is the, maybe Northwestern, but uh, this is the position that they're in based on how we saw them coming into the season. Well, I think a lot of, you know, just two years ago, they played in the uh, Alamo Bowl against a one-loss Washington State team, and it was a great matchup. Purdy was a true freshman. Uh, Purdy is the, probably the best quarterback to ever play at, at Iowa State and, and what he's been able to do and to go into Texas and, and win a game where I, I felt for the most part of the game they, they weren't in it, but they found a way to get it done at the end. Um, they get to play Oklahoma again, and it may just all, you know, they beat them earlier in the year, but. Yeah, you know they they'll lose in the Big Twelve championship and then they're no longer Big Twelve Big Twelve champs. We'll find out. But either way, uh, both Oklahoma and Iowa State are playing their best football right now, and it'll be a great game to see. Unfortunately, most likely, uh, neither one of those teams will be then a part of the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, this whole conversation is as convoluted as it's been this year. We're going to talk to Matt Barry from ESPN about it. Make sure to stay tuned for more Believe in the Pac-12. Back with Matt Barry in just a moment. Now joining us here on Believe in the Pac-12 is ESPN's Matt Barry. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us. All of our listeners have expressed how much they enjoy both your college football 
takes, but also your golf takes, which of the two of us, Ryan is definitely the more avid golfer. Uh, but regardless, we're, we're super happy to have you here on the show with us. Hey, guys, anytime. Look, you know, Ryan and I, uh, we have a, a fun history going back to when I auditioned him at ESPN, and we, we became fast friends talking golf, college football, and our love of all things Pac-12. So this is actually the perfect spot for me to be in. You know, it is. It's, uh, and you've been an absolute uh, support of mine through 2020, uh, <laughs> beginning in the business. I mean, like uh, you were telling Jonathan there, you know, when I auditioned, you know, you came in off your, on your own time and, and we did a fake show together and it must have been good enough because I got hired. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, what do you think about the Pac-12? The fact that we're actually playing football during a pandemic, but the Pac-12 light, you know, last to the party stringent most stringent protocols in place a lot of games have been canceled three amongst your alma maters arizona state yeah uh oregon the best chance to probably get into a college football playoff conversation what, what's your take on on the pac-12 and what we've seen so far yeah look oregon's playoff hopes gone after losing to oregon state over the weekend and so now you're looking you got an undefeated usc um you've got an undefeated washington I know Colorado's still playing good football, but ultimately, Ryan, I just I don't think the Pac-12 should have any playoff aspirations. I think for this conference and and you know coming from Arizona State and, and talking with Herm and everything they've been through, I think every Pac-12 program should take advantage and enjoy every Saturday they get to play, play as many games as you can. Treat this almost I mean because look, Arizona State's going to be able to play hopefully this week against UCLA and then Arizona, and then that's it. That's a three-game season. And so do what you can when you do get on the field to get some of your younger guys' depth to really set the table for next year when hopefully everything's back to normal and then we can get into a conversation with the Pac-12 on a national level for a college football playoff. On that note, Matt, last week I got a slew of Oregon fans in my inbox on my phone telling me, or asking me in various absurdities, why is Iowa State, why is Oklahoma, why are these programs with two losses ranked, looked at, viewed at, perceived at better than Oregon this season? Um, and, and to me, it was very obvious coming into the season, the Pac-12, as it has been in previous years, is just inherently at a disadvantage perceptively with, with uh, both the AP voters, but also with the fall college football playoff committee. This season... It's not. It's an uneven playing field. You contribute it to this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, the conference isn't good enough. What can fans hang their hat on as a positive this year? Because right now, there's a lot of very unhappy fans, and most of them are stuck in the "I don't get this" mindset. Well, it's simple. I mean, there's a couple of things. One, I've said this numerous. Well, first, to answer the first part of the question, hang your hat on that you're playing football. I mean, that that's it. In a, in a year like this, nothing's guaranteed. So hang your hat that drags you out there on Saturdays playing football. But I've said this on many shows many times. The Pac-12 is and will always be a USC league. That's just the way that it is. USC is the national brand in the conference. And as Arizona State guy, that drives me nuts. As an Oregon guy, drives you nuts. As a Washington State guy, drives Ryan nuts. That's just the way that it is. Washington will pop up from time to time and have a, a good year. They were in the college football playoff. Oregon, Mariota, college football playoff, national championship. Like There, there will be a year that, that the Pac-12 rises up and it's a different program. But in terms of national brand names, there's one brand name that comes out of the Pac-12 and it's USC. 
So let's start there. That's the baseline. So when USC is your, your most well-known national franchise, you need the other ones to step up. You need Arizona State in the South to step up. You need UCLA to be good. Utah teased us for a couple of years. And then in the North, you need Oregon, you need Washington, you need Stanford. And then once you get all of these programs in, Stanford's a shell of itself. Stanford's nowhere near what they had built with Shaw. And I don't know what's going on there, but you need in every conference, the, the really good programs, the ones that I just listed, need to attach themselves to the one that gets all the attention, which, which is USC. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think USC is that good this year. They got lucky against Arizona State. They got lucky against Arizona. They're good, but they're, they're nowhere. They would get smoked in a college football playoff game. And so for me, it's about all of these other programs staying good and USC getting back to being a national power. We watched how a uh, coach was – a couple coaches have been fired now. And I, I thought it was going to be problem problematic with buyouts and what the offense yeah. were going to look like. But here we are. Now, we have a few coaches that have been on the hot seat continuously. Clay Helton, for sure, at USC. Kevin Sumlin at Arizona. Do you think or see anything happening on the coaching front in the Pac-12? Because it's not necessarily as important – uh, as it is around the country in other places? It's a, it's a great question because I was of the belief that you would hit on it because of the pandemic and because of the financial difficulties these athletic departments are going to have because you don't get fans in the stands. You're losing a lot of games. You're not getting any of that ticket revenue and all this other stuff coming in. They've been furloughing uh, people and laying people off. I think personally it's a bad look. I don't think the optics of that are right. We've already seen it in the SEC with Will Muschamp. I didn't think South Carolina had that kind of money. 15, 17 mil, whatever it was to buy out Will. I didn't think they had that kind of money, but they do. Um, so as it relates to the Pac-12, I don't know the finances around Kevin Sumlin. I would assume if they wanted to find it and it was that their program is in that bad of a spot, you can't rule anything out. And – it's a win-now culture. They don't, you don't get time to cook anymore and build the program. Say what you want about Clay Helton. They haven't lost a game. And it has been pretty. And not, they don't have – you know, they haven't been recruiting like we're used to USC recruiting. But I wouldn't be surprised by anybody at this point, Ryan, of, of if they really want to coach, if, if USC really thinks they can lure Urban Meyer, which I don't think you can, but if, if, if that's what you think, and U of A, Arizona, has their eye on someone, then fine. But I just don't know that the optics of it are great. Let's move over to Arizona State here. Your alma mater, Matt. Um, I, I sort of attribute the optics of Arizona State to like the 2013-2014 Golden State Warriors. Not that they're going to go and win a national championship, but that they're putting themselves in a position to not only be competitive, but to actually maybe even win the South. In the, in the near future. Uh, I'm a Southern California guy. I cover Southern California recruiting. I call college and high school sports down here. I see a lot of these guys before they go. And Arizona State has had a firm foothold in this area, which has been yeah. phenomenal. Um, do you agree that Arizona State could really be sort of that, that dark horse out of the South turning into a consistent powerhouse with the program and with the recruiting strategy uh, that Herman, that coaching staff have put into yeah. place? Yeah, no, I, look – I, anybody who's paying attention to 
to the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 South. Just look at ASU's roster. I mean, you saw it in the game against USC. That Trainum kid, true freshman. The junior college transfer, he's young. The quarterback's a sophomore. The receivers are all freshmen. And I had said it going into the year, but they had coming back defensively. I thought they'd be a really tough out. But when you look at what they are doing now, I always believed this year was the table setter for next year to really compete to win the South. Jaden will be a junior. The receivers, the true freshman receiving class, which is the best in the country, coming off the recruiting rankings, will be sophomores. The running backs will be sophomores. Some continuity amongst the offensive line. And Antonio Pierce and Herm Edwards have done exactly what they set out to do. They were going to convince people that Arizona State is a program to be messed with, and they've got the facilities. I mean, if you're taking it in its, in its base form, if you're a kid and you're thinking about picking a university that is fun, Arizona State's a fun place, the weather's great, the facilities are good, and oh, by the way, you get coached by Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, Antonio Pierce, and a Hall of Famer, Kevin Mawai. I mean, if, if you're really a football nerd and want to set your sights on the league, there isn't a better spot than Arizona State. And Herm is one of those people. Ryan knows this. I mean, I worked for him for five years at ESPN before he left. He's one of the most magnetic personalities you're ever going to be around. And if you've got a son and you need to trust him with someone for three or four years, what mom, dad, grandpa, aunt, uncle, grandma's not going to want to send their kid to play for Herm? And so they're, I, I really believe they're just beginning. I, I equate everything to talent. And if you've got talent and if you're coached well, you can win. And they've got as much talent as they've ever had in that program. They do. And, and Arizona State was Jonathan Sleeper in the South. And I think that the, the thing that's made Herm's – so sick other than the COVID virus was the way they lost that game. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned, uh, we'll get you out on this one. You mentioned that uh, uh, Daniels will be a junior next year. A lot of these players uh, are going to have chances to go to the next level. And this year doesn't count as an eligibility year for them. They get to come back the next year and what that looks like. They can use this as a developmental year. How many players do you think, will use it as that or do you think it's going to be a problem where you see a bunch of guys that aren't ready to go um, try to make that step and get kind of left out in the cold it, it is it's going to be fascinating isn't it because I was you know these these kids have decided to opt out and and uh, not even play this year we saw some of them opt back in but there were a lot Makai Parsons Penn State uh, some of these other Penn A Sewell at Oregon uh, Rashad Bateman just did so. The opt-outs, I think, are going to be a one-year trend because I think they are going to realize that there's nothing better than putting football on tape and getting in there and getting reps and staying in shape and being in football shape. So I think that's going to be a trend. But if I let me use a guy at ASU as an example. A guy like Frank Darby, who's our number one receiver right now, he's not going to have much to put on tape. And your tape is your reel. Now, look, you can be a combine guy and a workout guy. That's all well and good. But I legitimately believe there's going to be a number of players. I, Ron, I think it's going to be 50-50. I think you're going to have a number of players say, hey, you know what? This is a freebie from the NCAA, and we never get those. Let's go back, get a year stronger, and get a year better at football. Then there's going to be 50% that said, you know what? I had, 
We played eight games. I had four good ones. We can put that on tape. I'm going to go to the league and just get out of here. But I do believe the opt-out thing is going to be a one-year trend only because it's going to – I think the kids that aren't playing football, it's going to hurt them. Uh, but I hope there are a number of players that don't get the whispers from, the, from, the, from their friends and from the agents. And I hope that they really make a good business decision. Otherwise, it could impact their career going forward. Yeah, this year is, uh, is not an easy one to keep track of, but ESPN's Matt Berry joining the show to give us uh, at least some ambiguous and, and some nuanced perspective of the Pac-12 and the state of college football. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a true pleasure having you on the show. Hey, guys. Anytime. Love talking Pac-12 ball. It's a real pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Special thanks to ESPN's Matt Berry for taking the time to join us here. What a great guest. If you've missed the past three weeks, we've had Adam Rittenberg, we've had Greg McElroy, and now the great Matt Berry. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show as we will keep having great guests here to break down both college football as a whole and, of course, the Pac-12. But that will do. We'll be back on Friday afternoon. For Ryan Lee, my name is Jonathan Rifkin. Thank you so much for listening to Believe in the Pac-12 right here on the Believe Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.